myself, the, um, the words that I use, I pray they would be glorifying to you and they would become from you uh, for all of us today. I pray we would all surrender ourselves to what we get to hear. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> well, when I'm happy, I sing very stupid songs. I don't know if you guys do this. Um, I don't know if you, what it looks like in your family. Um, our family, if you haven't got it by now, is quite goofy, and I wonder why that is. Um, now, I don't know if any of you do, if you're like happy or excited, maybe under the cover of your house and only with those who are closest to you, you might do a little stupid dance or have a little stupid song. Um, when I'm happy and joyful, I get really goofy, and Christina knows that when I'm unburdened, I get goofy, and she gets annoyed when I get goofy because I like to annoy people when I'm goofy. Uh, if I don't get to the level of annoyance, I don't think I'm quite goofy enough. Um, so part of this is like singing dumb songs. And one, of the, um, one thing that will make me sing stupid made-up songs is a Friday evening, there's pizza for tea, we're gonna have a film night, we're just gonna sit, we're just gonna like hang out and watch this good film or whatever. There's a joy that wells up inside of me that just must come out in stupid song. And because there's good news on the horizon, like I know pizza's gonna come. Oh, I'm, I'm gonna get excited about this. I'm gonna start dancing a little bit. And as I open that pizza box and you know that, that first smell, you're just like, mmm, yeah, that's really good. I may dance, I will turn my life into a little stupid little musical uh, and sing everything. The thing is, as annoying as it is, it's also catchy. Because Colin and Christina, they have their own little dance, their own little songs. And it may not be exactly like mine, but they're singing the same kind of stupid stuff. And all three of us dance around like these little weirdos with our own little version of the pizza song. Because it's all good news. We're about to enjoy something, and we're really looking forward to it. There's a joy inside of us that must come out. And that as weird as it might sound, is actually a transition that makes sense for what we have here in Isaiah 42, because a new song is being sung. A new song must come out. The, uh, that's the, uh, the very first verse, sing to the Lord a new song. A new song here doesn't mean it's not something that we haven't heard before, like the words or the song hasn't been like released yet or something like that. Um, it's new as in like refresh, renewed. They can be old words or new words, but there is something new about it. <clears throat> if left to our own devices, we don't really sing at all. If we're just kind of left to our own lives. If the pizza doesn't come, the pizza song certainly is not going to come. And we all have our kind of default mode of being. Like life is busy, and we just kind of keep on with life. We go through our days, and they're busy, man, and we just keep our head down and keep going on. But in our mundane lives, even in that, there's something that breaks in. Something that can cause such joy in our hearts that we respond with something like a new song. Through Jesus, we are transformed from that status quo, kind of just getting along life, into something new. And it doesn't have to be goofy. For me, it is. It doesn't have to be goofy. Uh, but it's something refreshing. It's something new, something renewed. And that changes how we go about our lives. It might look very kind of ordinary on the outside. It might not look like extraordinary most of the time. It doesn't look extraordinary on the outside. But on the inside, there's something new. There's something different at work. So the question for us, as we read these verses like this, is do we want our lives to mimic that same old tired song, or do we want to sing a new one? That's what we're going to hear over and over. Do we want to mimic that same old tired song, or do we want to sing a new one? Now, last week, we looked at this previous nine verses in 42, and we learned that it's about Jesus who comes to free us from our spiritual oppression. In his kind of divine act of justice, his word goes forth, and through what Jesus has done, we've been able to hear it, and that changes who we are, that makes us a new creation. So we're told about um, who he is. This week is more about how we respond. Like if verses 1 through 9 is true, verses 10 through 25 is kind of how we're supposed to live. When we see Jesus at work, 
whether you're with him, not sure what you think about him, or kind of anti him, whenever you see Jesus at work, how do we respond? Are we going to keep mimicking that same old song, or will we sing a new one? So let's look at this first uh, section here, which is the first three verses, first, uh, verses 10 through 12, singing a new song. And this is a response to that servant, servant with a capital S. If you have um, headings in your Bible, that chapter 42 might say servant of the Lord, if you have the NIV. Um, and then the next one that we're in here now is song of praise to that Lord, to that servant. So we have this new song that is coming from a new thing. So verse 10, we're singing a new song. Look at that one verse previous. See, the former things have taken place, and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. So these new, this new thing's been announced to us. This new thing that Jesus is doing, he's remaking us into a renewed people that demands a new song. And a renewed people can't sing the same old tired song, they sing a new one. New things lead to new songs. And a new song is not part of the status quo. It's something, it's something different. Now, this is encouraging because it's basically like encouraging us to do this. Uh, it's not quite like a strong command, like sing to the Lord a new song. It's like, man, guys, let, let's sing to the Lord a new song. Uh, it's um, it's uh, encouragement, and it's going out to everyone. It says the ends of the earth. His praise to the ends of the earth. Those that go down to the sea and all that's in it, the islands and all that's in them, the wilderness. So the islands, remember, if, if we talked about this last week, I think, were the, like, the farthest reaches of like, the known world. That's, that's how far the song is going to go, the, the singing is going to go. Um, there's settlements of Kedar, which is interesting. If you're not familiar with your ancient Near East uh, geography, uh, Kedar was, was not pro-Israelite. They were Palestinian, anti-Israelite, anti-Yahweh, anti-God. And these former uh, enemy areas are also rejoicing, are also singing this new song. So regardless of where you are, regardless of where you've come from, all kinds of people from all kinds of places are singing a new song together. And all these people are praising the Lord. People who are religious, people who are not, people who are anti-religious, people who spoke this language, that language, had this cultural background, that cultural background. When it comes to who God wants to draw to himself, nobody is too far off. That's true for everybody. In this room, if you're listening online, and in, in whatever kind of conversation you get into, nobody is too far off. People who are enemies, people who were supposed to be near to God but weren't, people who were near to God, all are equal before him. All have equal dignity, and all have God's calling on their lives, every single one. So all of these people, all these kinds of people are praising the Lord, and they're giving glory to him. Now, giving glory to God might sound like a churchy thing. It was like, oh, yeah, that's what we do. We give glory to God. But like, what is actually going on there is when good things happen, we don't say it's because of us. Any good thing that happens, we say it's because of God. Now, um, we want to attribute all the good in our lives to ourselves because, well, I'm a little bit clever or I'm a little bit, I can do this and I can do that thing. Um, but part of the new song that we're called to sing is about how good God is, not first about us and the great things that we do. This new song that Jesus inspires in our hearts is a humility in ourselves that is able to give glory to God and rejoices in it. Doesn't begrudgingly give glory, go, oh, I guess I gotta give God the glory. Ugh, I hate that. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a joyful thing. I love giving God the glory because he deserves it. So that means when something does go well, it's not because of you, it's because of him. I mean, yeah, you were obedient to be a part of it, but really, it's because of him. To sing a new song where God gets glory is to live humbly. And so why are people singing this new song uh, again, this is like an overflow we looked at last week. There is someone who's coming who is going to open the eyes of the blind. 
That's a miraculous thing. There's someone who's going to set the oppressed free. That's a very just and merciful thing. There's someone who's coming who will bring order to this world of disorder. That's a very kind of caring, loving thing. There's a person who's at work now, recreating Manchester to reflect heaven. You're a city, Charlton, this neighborhood, your street, wherever you live. Jesus is at work recreating that street where you live, your neighbors. You might be like, well, not that neighbor. Yeah, that neighbor. Right now, Jesus is reversing the darkness, undoing that unjust system where the word of God isn't thriving and giving freedom to people who don't deserve it. So when people experience this new thing, kind of as verse 9 puts it, uh, it results in singing a new song like this, because Jesus has transformed all those who follow him into a new creation. And we, as a people, we, not individually we, but we as a people get to be that new thing. This results in lives that aren't trying to grab glory for themselves, but really enjoy giving it back to God. I think basically what we're getting at here is if you have experienced Jesus in your life, there's going to be some kind of change in it. There's going to be some kind of response. And that response that we have goes against that tired old song of the status quo, just keeping your head down and kind of going about your normal life. That tired old song of the status quo can also mean working like hell, which is an apt phrase, by the way. Working like hell to get something, because you are putting yourself through it to get something that's probably not going to get you what you want in, in the end anyway. All the while missing out the offer right in front of your face. There is no new song that arises from an old life. You just can't get it. A new life bubbles over and overflows into new song. New songs do not come from old lives. New lives create new songs. And this difference that we live in can be a joy, can be something we experience beyond kind of life stage, beyond kind of whatever kind of circumstances that we're in. Because it's the joy of, of being able to know God himself. When Jesus works in your life, you get to be known by God and you get to know him. This transcends any aspect of loneliness and isolation that we often feel in this world. It's not that you'll never feel lonely because of this, but it means when you do, you go about it differently because you've been recreated into something new. You're singing a different kind of song. It's one that speaks of our transformation of being blind but now being able to see. And if you haven't yet experienced Jesus in your life, this is an offer that's open for everybody, even people who would call themselves enemies of God. It's open for everybody. Now, those of us who have experienced Jesus' work in our lives makes us different, or maybe I should say it should make us different. It's really easy to just kind of slide in and just act like everybody else. And we all have that pressure, right? What we get to do is we praise the Lord for what he's done. We give glory to him. Now, if I've not been super clear about this yet, this new song is a metaphor for the Christian life. This is what we're called to live. And not just like literally when we're going to sing in a moment, but our lives ought to have that same kind of joy, that same kind of outpouring, that same kind of attractive quality to when people hear a song being sung. So I wonder if this is you, uh, if you do follow Jesus, how is your life reflecting that new song that, that we sing? Do you know the words? Do you know the melody? Do you need help in that area? Are you singing it with others as it's meant to be? Or are you trying to be a solo act? If you aren't following Jesus right now, just know that you can. If you want it, you can join in with this song with us as well as we all stumble towards faith together. So that's a little bit about um, what it means to sing a new song. This next section talks a lot about the reasons for this new song. Verses 13 through 17, uh, we get the reasons for this. So it follows on from the new thing that Jesus is doing. Here we get a few more aspects of what the Lord is up to. And I'm going to tell you it's equal parts scary and equal parts comforting. 
It's scary and comforting. Because it's some difficult words in here. We'll get to the bad stuff first. First, the scary part. There's destruction. The Lord is described as a warrior in, in verse 13. He'll march out like a champion. That's like an elite force, an elite warrior. He will shout. He will scream a blood-curdling battle cry. And he's going to triumph over his enemies. Anyone who dares come up against the Lord in battle will be destroyed. Coming against someone else in battle automatically means you've identified yourself as that person's enemy. You can't like try and like hit him with a sword and be like, oh, no, no, we're friends. We're on the same side. Like, no, no, no. You're coming against God. You're making yourself an enemy. God invites people, even who were formerly enemies, to be a part of him. But if you come up against him, you've identified yourself as an enemy. The enemies of the Lord, here's what... Um, Enemies of the Lord will, will experience. And this is, this is scary stuff. I will lay waste the mountains and hills and dry up all their vegetation. I will turn rivers into islands and dry up the pools. That's, that's complete destruction. That means in the wake of, of the Lord's battle, um, he leaves the land completely uninhabitable. People aren't able to live there anymore. And in verse 17, but those who trust in idols, who say to images, you are our gods, will be turned back in utter shame. It's the shame of defeat, of having to go home with your tail behind, uh, between your legs. The shame of defeat for those who turn against the Lord by turning to idols. Now, you might say, um, like, I'm not really at war with God. That sounds like a ridiculous thing to do. And I don't have any weapons, like, aimed against him. Like, what's the deal? Well, here, the way that verse 17 talks about it is it's an either-or situation. We are letting the Lord lead us. Or we are turning to idols, trusting in idols. So we're told turning to idols actually means you are setting yourself up against the Lord. That's not a good thing to do. It's an either or. And in these verses here and elsewhere in the Bible, it can't really get any more clear than that. Now maybe you might be thinking a little bit of what we talked about last week, where we made a big deal about Jesus not raising his voice, as it says um, in, in verse 2, chapter 42, verse 2. He will not shout or cry out. But now he's like shouting a lot and crying out in very scary ways. Like, what's the deal? Is this just like another example of the Bible contradicting itself? The servant's not going to raise his voice? What's the deal? Um, well, here it's all about who the, the people the Lord is interacting with. It depends on the audience. The people who the Lord is leading, who, who, who have responded to his invitation, those people are going to be weak. Those people are going to be broken. And he's not going to break them. He will repair them and give them new life. And he won't shout at them. He's not going to be crying out at them. He's not going to be like maniacally, you know, getting people to do weird stuff all the time. But for those who do set themselves against the Lord, he's not a pushover. He's not, he doesn't mess around. He, uh, even though he invites everyone to recognize him for who he is, God overall, for those who set themselves against him, there is a path of destruction that will come. And oftentimes, that comes in their own experience, and, I, I, and we're all there, so I should really just say in our own experience, as well um, in eternity and life to come. So there is destruction here. And that should really give all of us pause to know that the Jesus that we serve isn't a buddy Jesus. I mean, he's our friend, he's our brother, and we can go to him with anything. But he's also not, not like just a pal that we hang out with every now and then. Like, he's the king of creation. That's a, that's a big deal. And he deserves respect as well. So there's destruction, but um, here, here's the good part, the comforting part. There's also rescue. Destruction for those who set themselves against him, and also rescue for those who take refuge in him. Now remember the first point, there's hope even for those who were formerly enemies, and even people who are living as enemies now, there's hope for them. So this isn't about the past. This is about the present. Where are you now with 
in hearing these words. In verse 16, the destroyer turns into a rescuer. So not only, okay, verse 15, everything will be laid to waste. Verse 16, I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them. I'll make the rough places smooth. These are the things I will do. I will not forsake them. Let's go back through these little list on the screen here. First, he's going to lead the blind. That's really good. If you're blind, it's great to have someone to help you get around. That's very helpful information. Um, he guides people along paths they've never been. And when I was thinking about this, like this is one of the areas where you get a really clear glimpse that the Christian life is not boring. It's really exciting. Because first, you couldn't see, and who knows where you were going. Now you can see, and you're being led by somebody, by the hand even, and you're going to places you've never been before. You're going to be in conversations with people you've never been in conversations with. You're going to be part of a family with people you would have never picked to be part of your family. There's good and bad parts of that. I get that. But there's also, like, it's exciting. Like, I would have never, a family from Columbia coming to Manchester for a couple months. I would have never interacted with them outside of the church. That's an amazing thing. The people who we get to um, chat with, I mean, as an American living here, I wouldn't ever do that except for the church, what God's doing. The conversations that hopefully Lord willing will have on that Easter Monday. Those things are new and exciting. God is, is putting them in our place. There's new people we talk to. Uh, there's new missions come that we see. There's new hopes that we get. It, it is an exciting thing to do, to be part of God and what he's doing. And it might be like, wow, that sounds maybe a little bit too much. How are we going to do this thing? Well, God makes it easy for us. He makes the rough places smooth. He knows we stumble. God knows it better than, than you do. But he's going to pave the way. He's going to remove the boundaries and make it easy for us to walk. And, and as he takes our hand, uh, he makes the paths smooth. It also says that God transforms darkness to light. Now, even that, just, that first, that image conjures up Genesis 1 and 2, the creation of the world, the creation of the cosmos, and where out of, there was darkness, and out of that darkness, God was behind it all, all the light that came into being. This like cosmic act of creation, it's also what goes inside of our hearts. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. The same God who said, let light shine on darkness, who created the world, is the same one who says, let light shine in our hearts. That's what we get. That's amazing. That's what transforming darkness into light is about. And the last thing God promises for those who he leads is to not forsake them. One translation says, I will not leave them undone. I really like that. Because a lot of times, I feel undone. <laughs> I don't feel like I'm put together perfectly. But God has promised. He's not going to leave us broken. He's not going to leave us incomplete. What he started, he will finish. And he's not going to crack the whip and make you finish it yourself. God is the one who does it. Now, all of this, surely, is worthy of a new song. These are just a few bullet points. I have a couple, of ver one verse, two verses. No, just one. Going back and forth. My math's not great. I can't even count one to two. <laughs> There's no hope for Colin in maths. But yeah, this is an amazing thing. Now, these verses make it really clear that there is an either or here. And if you call yourself uh, a Christian or someone who follows Jesus, um, and you're like, well, okay, the, the, the destruction side, that doesn't really apply to me. I don't think we should get too comfortable here. Um, though we should have assurance in the Jesus that we follow, for all of us, there are parts of our hearts that refuse to follow Jesus. There are parts of our hearts that hard things, difficult things that have happened. 
Either people have done things to us or we've done things to other people that we try and push down. We hope we never see it. We hope other people don't see it. We really don't want God seeing it because it's going to come up. It's going to, uh, all sorts of things are going to come out of that. And we're not in control of that. And, and we're scared. And so we try and push it down and push it down and push it down. Those parts where you are refusing God's work to till that kind of soil will lead to devastation in your life. And if you follow Jesus and the Holy Spirit has renewed you, that might mean, yes, you're going to get an eternity with Jesus. But as this life that you lived out, you're just going to be like kind of halfway alive. And no one really wants to live halfway alive. We say we don't, but in our actions, we kind of do. What God is doing is inviting us to have the, our whole hearts to be part of, of what God is doing. See, the problem with cutting out those parts of our hearts, like we might put this little 1% of our life, we put it down as far as we can go, put our foot on it, but our hearts are made in such a way where you can't cordon off anything without affecting the whole. So if we try and put a little bit away, what that does, it deadens the whole heart. And that's not how God wants us to live. Ernest Becker, who is not a Christian, he wrote an amazing book called The Denial of Death. Uh, it has very, lots of really good sentences, and here's one. It says, the irony of man's condition is that the deepest need is to be free of the anxiety of death and annihilation, but it is life itself which awakens it, and so we must shrink from being fully alive. We're kind of afraid to have fully alive lives because it's scary. We go to new places, as it's kind of said here, and we don't know if we can handle those new places. The great news is you don't have to because God is in charge. He's in control. And being fully alive is being alive to everything good and bad. You can't just have the good stuff without the bad stuff. So instead of accepting that same old song of the status quo, where we don't really want to think about spiritual things, or we really don't want to talk to someone about our fears and anxieties, and we really don't want Jesus to work in our lives, what Jesus is calling, to, uh, calling us to and inviting us to is, some, is, is a bigger life, a, a, more, a life of more. And the parts of our hearts that look to any other place but God, those parts will be laid to waste. And in fact, those parts of your hearts are wasting away right now. Shoving your worth, therefore, into a small little thing like a career, trying to cram it all in there, or, or a family, or all these things, that can be really good. But trying to shove all of that in that small little thing, it's just not going to work. And that's a perfect recipe for existential angst. But if we find our refuge in the Lord, we will be rescued. We'll lead to new areas on a freshly paved road by Jesus. And I don't want to get too churchy with the language here. What does finding refuge in the Lord mean? It means hiding all of yourself in him. It means praying to him when you're alone, praying to him when you're in groups means reading his words that he wants us to know when you're alone and reading his words when you're in groups. Remember that this new song is not a solo act, it's, it's a choir. Organizing your life to celebrate and sing this new song together as a church body. It also means serving other people, loving them, singing this new song to those who don't know it yet because it overflows and touches every aspect of your life. It means to hide our whole self in him. And through that, we actually find wholeness. Through following Jesus, through singing his song, you're going to find yourself in new places. You'll find yourself in a church on Sunday morning where you normally could just have a lie-in or do something else, go to brunch. You'll find yourself at a missional community. Uh, find yourself being in groups of people, friends even, who you never really had before. You'll find yourself in conversations. You're like, how in the world did I get into this conversation right now with this person now? You're going to find yourself there. That's part of the new song. It's up towards God, it's in towards each other, and it's out towards those who don't know him yet. And if you haven't found yourself in new places recently, 
um, it's probably a good thing to ask Jesus about that. Like, where are these new places, Lord? Because you said it here. Like, where are they? It's probably they're right under your nose. Because following him always leads to new relationships, new conversations, and new things. So we talked uh, a little bit of singing to the Lord. We talked about some of the reasons for it. Um, Lastly, these last verses, this last little section here, verses 18 through 25, uh, we see how this is an offer for everyone. Now, not, not, I say anyone, not everyone, because not everyone is going to take God up on his offer, but it is open to anyone. This encouragement to join in with this new thing and sing this new song is for all sorts of people. Those who are spiritually skint, remember we talked about being poor, um, last week, that were spiritually skint, I was like, ah, I like the way that sounds. I'm going to use that more often. So I'll probably, you'll be bored of it by the end of this series. Um, God's people here, how are they described? Look at verse 18. Hear you deaf. Look you blind and see. We're deaf and we're blind. That's not really good. That's like, spiritually speaking, that's like as far away from God as you could basically be. What good is a deaf messenger? Because a messenger, especially in this time, has to hear the message in order to deliver it to someone else. But the messenger is deaf. He can't even hear the message, let alone deliver it to someone else. He's useless. He's a useless servant. And verses 21 and 22 are kind of like God's version of how it started and how it's going. Verse 21, it pleased the Lord for the sake of his righteousness to make his law great and glorious. This is like part of Israel's job was to make, um, like um, following the Lord was going to show to all these nations, not only for themselves, but these other nations were going to see. And it was like this image of uh, nations are going to stream up towards this like mountain of the Lord. But how did, how did it work out? Verse 22. But this is a people plundered, looted, trapped in pits, hidden away in prisons. They become plundered. No one to rescue them. They're hopeless. But it started optimistically, not going so well right now. And what we find here is there is no advantage to being an Israelite. There's no advantage to like calling yourself God's people. They're just as needy as the other nations who don't follow God. In fact, they're more culpable because they've had the law. They at least, they may not be listening to it, but they hear the law, just as we get to hear the law here. And then there's this big question in verse 23. Which of you, even to the blind and deaf people, all the people who should have got it but missed it and all missed out, all that kind of thing, verse 23, which of you will listen to this or pay close attention in time to come? This is going out. Who's going to hear This is God asking us now, who's going to hear? And hearing, again, is more than just listening to words. It's about changing your life after getting this kind of news. Now, if you have some kind of church background, are you going to hear this? Or it will just be kind of like churchy words that will wash over you and you'll go back to normal on Monday. If you don't have some kind of churchy back, church background, you're like, this is really weird. I don't really get a lot of it, but maybe I get a little bit. Are you kind of able to hear this? Everyone can hear this. For those who are interested in Jesus but don't really know much about him yet, are you hearing it? We all need to hear this. Are we paying attention, Redeemer, to these words? Or are we kind of ho-hum? Are we all in? Or are we like sort of, yeah-ish? If we're all in, we join the Lord in making sure this offer gets heard. That's why we organize our missional communities around a mission. Because it's not just about us. You by yourself, you're not enough in a one-on-one situation to make God's offer clear to everybody. You're just not. The, the gospel is a community thing. It works itself out in community, requires a community. And the church is a family that always has room for more. And we have a good list of areas where God's people have failed in the past. I mean, any of these chapters in Isaiah has told us. And I bet if you were to think for a moment, you'd have a list twice as long. But where Israel failed, 
Where we failed, Jesus does his new thing. In our failure, all those who are spiritually skint, told you I was to use it, prone to just mimic the same old song of the status quo, in all of that, we look to Jesus. And in doing so, we can actually sing a new song. And not like actually singing, though, yeah, we'll do that in a moment, but actually our lives will be like that. See, through Jesus, the Lord who's already laid waste, he has already laid waste to his enemies, to our enemies. Verse, verse uh, 15 has already happened at the cross for all those who set themselves against us. The shout that Jesus gave, his blood-curdling battle cry, was the groaning of death on the cross. Father, why have you forsaken me? Forgive them. They don't, they don't know what they're doing. Or into your hands I give up my spirit. Now, verse 14 says, For a long time, this is God speaking to his people, For a long time I have kept silent. I have been quiet and held myself back. When Jesus came to earth, God refused to hold himself back. He was out there in full force. He's been revealed through Jesus. 1 Peter 20 and 21 says, Jesus was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for our sake. No longer held back, but, but revealed, like walking around like a human. And Christ was destroyed so that we would not experience the destruction that's listed here. And after Christ's destruction, since he is God, he was able to raise himself up to new life. That means for all of, the, all of us who've experienced destruction in our lives, surely that's all of us. We all have different aspects of that. Any kind of destruction in any way, there's always the hope of something new because of the resurrection. There's always a new thing to be done. There's always a new song to be sung. And in Jesus' resurrection, what he does, he transforms darkness to light with everything that could be encompassed in darkness and everything that could be encompassed into light. This leads us to new and exciting places and paves the way in front of us. He's not going to forsake us. He's not going to leave us kind of halfway finished or incomplete. What he started, he will finish. And those who follow him get to live in the exciting present tense of singing his new song. So the question for us still remains, who's going to listen? Who's going to pay attention? All who have experienced Jesus' new thing, who can't help but sing out a new song, we do so because we were once blind by ourselves, now led by the Lord. He takes our hand and he shows us where to go. Released from the dregs of that status quo, same old tired song, free to sing a new one. A new thing has been done. A new song will be sung. And may our lives be a new song, not just for us, but to be able to give glory to God and also for people who don't know him yet. Now, if you've experienced Jesus' new work in your life, uh, we're about to sing some new songs together. And as we do, we will celebrate the Lord's Supper together. 